Well, hey, and welcome to episode 16 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss how we can have confidence in God's love for us. We talk about a biblical theology of hell and what Paul means when he says Jesus was sent at the right time. As always, if you haven't listened to the message from Sunday, we encourage you to go back and do so. You can find all of the messages throughout this series and past series on the Quad City app or at quadcity.church. Well, without further ado, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. Morning. Morning. Good morning. How we doing? Fantastic. Yeah. It's cold out. It it definitely is cold. Yep. Yeah, we were uh having to wait for the bus. It was bus ended up not coming. The boys were out like just freezing, standing on the corner for like an extra extended amount of time. Yeah. So finally I was like, hey, maybe you should come in and we'll wait for the bus. Normally they're out there for like three minutes. Like their little hands were freezing. They're like, Daddy, it's so cold. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just oh, getting man. started. Yeah. 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 It's, it feels like it got cold early this year, which I'm not uh, not a fan of, but that's all right. Hey, here, let's let's do this to get, get us started this morning. Uh, tell me about your first car, Josh. What was, what was the first car you drove? First car I drove. Okay. I had a two-door money green Cadillac. What? But yeah, man. Two-door money green Cadillac. <laughs> oh, yeah, babe. It was like a 1980... Somewhere between like the 85 to 87 range. Was it like one of the long ones? Like no, it was, boat, it was actually a short body. Okay. So it was a short body. Yeah, two door. Two door. They made two door. Cadillac. Yeah, baby. It was nice. Yeah, my second car was also a Cadillac. It was a four door Cadillac. But yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're playing into some stereotypes here, Josh. I can't. I I'm just telling you what I had, man. <laughs> I had a two door. You're month. talking one of these. I'm showing John. No, that's reference. too long. That's too long. Go to okay. the 80s. Go to no, the 80s. No, this is 85. No, nah, so it was. Uh, it was like uh-huh. the. Oh, what was I feel it? like we we do need to post these in there. Maybe yeah. In the yeah, I'll, I'll find one. It was like a this a not. Oh, well, like this guy. That's a little car. Yeah. Is that what you're talking? Very similar to yeah. that. Mine was more square bodied. Okay. I was in the square bodied realm. Yeah, it was money green too. Yeah, this is a Cadillac Eldorado. Yeah. So is that yeah? Yeah. Okay. So I it was either an Eldorado or maybe a different one. Seville. I think okay. they had a Cadillac Seville, maybe. I don't know. It was a Fleetwood. The, yeah. Yeah. So how long did you have this car? Maybe about a year. I didn't have very long. What so, happened to it? Um the engine went bad and it kind of blew up. So who knew you had to put oil in those cars? <laughs> no, <laughs> no I'm just playing. I'm just playing. It was just an older car. Yeah. Um yeah. And then So got what a, year did you have it? It was my first car. Right. So, so what we're year talking was that? 1997. So it was only 12 years old. Yeah. It may have been a little older than that. But yeah, so it was 97. Yeah. So um, it was, yeah, we got the job done. It was, yeah. it worked. That's pretty good. Jason, I've heard a couple of stories about your first car. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for this one. Yeah. I didn't own a car in the, like the year 2000s until recently. Yeah. I, it it took me a while to even get into the 2000s. Yeah. Like I was deep in the 2000s before <laughs> I broke out of the 90s. Yeah. So that's just how we roll, man. All right. So uh, Kentucky in the 80s. So our little town, Harrodsburg, was just 
25 minutes from Frankfurt. So think about Frankfurt being the capital and it's where all the government workers were. And the state car in the 80s, you know, so whoever, whatever state job that you had, the state the state job or state car was an AMC Concorde. Okay. So if you don't know anything about AMC, uh, they're, they're terrible cars. Okay. Um, and so they had, that was a state car in the eighties. And then finally the mid nineties, like they just started selling them all off, getting rid of them for, for nothing. And so there was actually three people in my church who had AMCs. Me, my brother, and another girl in our church all bought these cars. You could get one for like 500 bucks. So I had a 1980 AMC Concorde. That was my first car, 1980 AMC Concorde. Um, and they were, the, the, the issue with them is they had a great engine, it had a straight six engine in them. The problem was it had a plastic valve cover on the top. And so they would always warp and leak oil. And literally, my brother and I took his car. He's two years older than me, so he had one first. We took his car, went to the church to play basketball one day, and we're in playing ball in the church, and somebody comes in running from the parking lot who had been driving down the highway, drove in and said, "Uh, somebody's car's on fire out here. And literally, the oil had dripped out of his onto the manifold, lit the car on fire, and it burned down in the church parking lot. The other girl who had one was literally driving hers down a country road. And you remember where cars used to have those little slits right up at the hood, right in front of the windshield? Flames started flickering up out of the front of her windshield Hmm. driving. Hers burned down on the side of the road. So, (laughs) So all right. So your brother's burns down in yeah. the parking lot. Uh-huh. Did you already have yours or you went, you know what I want to do? <laughs> I actually want to take a chance to go. Mine won't burn down. I, 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 it, it was close. I can't remember. I can't remember. It was too long ago, <laughs> but mine, it was, it was maroon. And literally I would have to, every time I went to a stop, sign or stoplight, I'd have to put it in neutral and keep my foot on the gas. <laughs> it, it would not idle. If you if you just hit the brake, it's going to die. So every time I would roll stop, put it in neutral and tap the gas to keep that thing going. Then you rev it up and you drop it in gear and you squeal tires coming out every time. So And mine did end up leaking all the oil out. We had a snowstorm and the way our driveway was, there was a spot where you parked where the back end was higher than the front and all the oil leaked out under the snow. And so it had leaked. So I didn't know because there was snow up and it leaked out, went under the snow. And so I went out there and fired the thing up. I had a buddy who had a car and his wouldn't start, but this old car didn't know not to start. And so it just fired <laughs> up and it just, blah, 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 blah. and then all of a sudden, blah, 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 and then it was done. It just locked it up. So, yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. AMC Concord, baby. So, AMC is no longer in business. No, but what they did do is they revolutionized the same inline six engine, put it into the Jeep XJ, the Cherokee, the old uh, old models in the from the late, actually the, like 86 to 2001, I think is when they were making them with the inline six. Uh, and they ran great for the Jeeps. I had, yeah. I've had two XJs, and the engines were were rock solid. Yeah, the rest just, of the vehicle fell apart, but the engines, <laughs> man, those things. I put you just can't put a plastic valve cover 
on an engine. Like that's just not, it's yeah. just not going to work over time. So I've got two, I've got, so my first car was like a late nineties. Um, it was a Hyundai Elantra. So just a little four door sedan, tiny little car. It was gifted to me by my sister when she, she left home. Um, and it was great. Drove it around a bunch, had pretty good gas mileage. Gas wasn't super uh, expensive back then, but uh, and one of my one of my memories back in 2017. I was about to say when <laughs> what year was this? Uh, I would have been driving in 2009. Yeah. Does that math add up? It's probably about right. With, <clears throat> yeah, 93. With you were born. 93. Yeah, I was born in yeah, 93. 16. Late 93. So, um, 15, 16. I would have started driving. Got this car. One of my, so where I. Uh, at that point, I was living in the West Valley of Phoenix, out in Surprise. And Surprise is like one of the last towns west before you hit desert. Like you got the White Tank Mountains. There's a road called Bell Road. If you drive down in Phoenix, you've probably been on Bell Road once or twice, spans the entire valley practically. Well, we were like on the west end of Bell Road. And if you take Bell Road even further west from where Surprise is, you got like literally into the middle of nowhere. It loops around the White Tank Mountains, turns into another another road there and ends up hitting the 10 West on the way to California. But all along there, if you drive out West of town, just desert on both sides. So there's a little uh, like retirement village out there now, but before like literally just desert. So we would take this little four door, we meaning me and some of my friends would take this little four door Hyundai Elantra. We'd take it out to the desert and we'd just like do donuts and try to jump it and do all sorts of stuff. So I drove this car for like maybe two, two and a half years did this probably once, twice a month, and it ran great the entire time I had it. Broke some motor mounts. It was okay. but uh, So that was my fond memory from that car. And then I ended up totaling that car, actually, right after I graduated high school. And the next vehicle that I had, I, I bought a friend's Jeep Cherokee, 1988 Jeep Cherokee. And this was the car that I had when I moved to Prescott. So I moved to Prescott, uh, had this, this old Cherokee, and there was this weird thing. We never figured it out, but there was this weird thing that would happen when, when I would drive it for more than an hour at a time and I would like stop and get gas. I'd turn it off, get gas, or turn it off and go grab something to eat or whatever. I'd come back out and if it was still warm, wouldn't start. It would turn over strong, just wouldn't, it wouldn't start. So I'd have to like wait an hour or two as it cooled down and then I could fire it up. But it was at the same time that I was dating Courtney. So Courtney was living down in Phoenix. I was living in Prescott. So like every weekend, I'm driving down to the valley in this real old kind of rickety 1988 Jeep Cherokee uh, going down the hill, doing the whole thing, speed wobbles. Like the, those XJs are notorious for getting the speed wobbles. It was terrifying. But I would stop in Anthem. Like I'd stop and go grab food in Anthem. So I'd have to leave it running. So I'd park it in the parking lot, leave it running, go grab food, come back out, get back in and drive the rest of the way to the valley. So there's my, uh, that sounds awesome. My two old car. The Cadillac, it would float when you got at a certain speed. Oh, literally it was like, it would just, you'd hit bumps and you just go up and down, man. You would go It only went eight in the odometer, only red 85. It did not go. That was the Cherokee too. Did not go over 85 and you'd hit it and start blinking and flashing at you. You just, you just float up and down. I'll tell you what though. my, My Cherokee never broke down while I was driving it. The entire time I had it, literally never broke down while I was actually driving the vehicle. Now, if you got out, turned it off, then you were in trouble. But while it was running. I don't think my AMC Concord ever saw 85. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, let's dig into uh, 
And so this past Sunday, um, we were in Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. I just like kicking it off with this. What, what stood out to you guys out of, uh, out of this past message, Josh? Yeah, two things. So the first one is, so uh, my family was in this weekend, actually. Uh, my dad like, came, visited, hung out with me and the boys. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, he was in town. He'll be like, we just were, we went to PV. So um, he, he, they're actually going to stop. I need to meet your dad. They're going to stop by the office. Okay. So I'm going to have him stop by the office. Anyways, nice. sorry. Um, yeah. Um, Corey, it was funny. Corey was like, he was like walking with him and he was looking at him. Corey Hewitt, one of our pastors in PV. And he was like, oh, my dad kind of introduced himself. And Corey was like, yep, I see that. That's definitely your dad. Like, you guys look he, alike. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of like walk the same way. So like me, Silas, and my dad are like, oh yeah, those three. Small, medium, and large. <laughs> those three belong together. Yeah, okay. Like, awesome. um, but anyway, so we're sitting there, right? It's really cool. So it's me, my wife, and my my pops. We're sta- we're sitting there, and Jason's in his. Hey, who would you give a heart to? Right. So it was like your kids. Oh, absolutely right. You know, grandkids. So I look over at my pops, and he's like, I don't know. You know, just joking, <laughs> right? And then you get to the next one, your parents. And I looked at him. I was like, Sorry, old man. Right? He was like, Golly! He like, so it was like a little moment of like, it was really, really funny, like really cool, just like us laughing in there. And everybody, I think, chuckled. That's right? so funny. Um, but yeah, it was like. Nah, you've 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 had a good run. You have. You've done good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that was a funny part of the sermon. I, and I was in both nine thirty and eleven in Prescott Valley, and I, everybody, the spouse one too. Everybody was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Josh, <laughs> tell us about what happened in the eleven. Yeah, so apparently, that time in the yeah. Message. So that was my second okay. thing that I remember. So Jason was <laughs> clicking off through the list. He gets to the evil people and he gets to, would you, you know, get a heart to David Duke? And he goes down all this, all the folks and he goes, uh, Vladimir Putin. And a guy just says, I'd give him a kidney. And I went, what? I, I, it was, yeah, man, it was something. And I looked at my wife and was like, huh, huh. And we just, again, because Jason's not in the room, so like, there's no, like, <laughs> pastor stoppage. And nobody, like, giggled or laughed. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's ultimate was like, oh, he just said that. Did he? <laughs> he did. He said, I'd give Vladimir Putin a kidney. And, okay, let's keep going. Let's ride on out to Bill, to Bill Cosby, right, you know? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So those were my two moments. You know, the rest of the sermon was great. It was an incredible way, just the, the tension of— um, of God, you know, that it was planned, that it was for us, that he took our place, all mm-hmm. those things that I think we forget sometimes. But, yeah, so yeah, a lot of laughter. We had a good time. We had a good <laughs> time fantastic. this weekend, buddy. So for me, there were two, likewise, two things that kind of stood out most to me, right? Our memory verse for this uh, for this month is in this text, right? It's it's Romans 5, 8. And for, for me, one of the the things that I think was powerful and it was kind of the heart of the sermon was this idea that, again, we don't look to our circumstances to see God's love for us. We we look at his actions, which have already been played out, right? And they were played out on the cross. And I just thought that was a good sobering reminder. And then the the end of the message as well for me was powerful, just um, right, the idea that we get to boast in, in Christ and, and what he's done for us. And then having a moment to be able to respond and do that through worship. Um, like that's one of those things that we get to do in these moments of worship is 
is boast in, in the goodness and the grace of God um, that, that was shown through his son, Jesus. So um, again, I thought those, those were both kind of standout moments for me. Jason, what, what, uh, <clears throat> what was standout for you? Yeah, the 5.8 is the text, right? That's the whole point of this one. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, yeah, that whole point about uh, how many conversations that we have where people want to attach the love of God to their circumstances. And I was just actually thinking about that this morning. Um, imagine if Paul did that. I mean, think again. Think about the the circumstances that Paul endured of being in prison or being shipwrecked or bitten by a viper or flogged five times or stoned or getting pushed out the window and hurled down into a basket because the city officials are after him. I mean, if he looked to his circumstances to figure out whether or not God loved him, he would have never felt like God loved him, but he didn't. And and he looked to the cross. And again, I didn't I didn't spend any time thinking about this or much time thinking about it. I didn't put it in the message at all, but it is interesting to me in verse eight, where Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. In other words, it's not demonstrated. Mm -hmm. It's not a past tense thing. God demonstrates like this. This is the thing. It's an ongoing thing that we keep looking to. It wasn't a one-time thing that we look back on that God demonstrated and now he doesn't. No, no, no. He demonstrates like this is the thing that should always be in front of us that we put on display over and over and over again. It's He uses a present tense verb there to help us to recognize that this is an ongoing reality. This is the demonstration of the love of God is at the cross. And so I, I just love the fact that it isn't past tense. And you, there was two things you said when you were kind of talking about this love piece. The first one was, and think about Paul when he's writing this. And it was like, even for me, a light bulb, I was like, oh, he— he was the sinner. Yes. He he was, like you said, maybe in the room. He was yeah. a part of the crowd that wanted Jesus to go away. Yeah. Like Paul had interactions with Jesus. I, I know he, he had to have. He right. was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He yeah. was in the inner crowd. Um, so like he writes that and it's real and personal. It was, yeah. it really was. I was like, oh, like it was one of those moments like, man, I don't know. I guess I never thought that before. And then you said another thing. You said he died for us not because of us, yeah. which is such an important but big distinction, mm-hmm. right? The for us pieces, which we talked about when we talked about that he died for our sins, when we talk about the gospel, like um, that that has to be paramount to your definition of what the gospel is because without died for our sins, he didn't just die, mm-hmm. you know? And so we got to make sure we include that. But those were two really, you know, like I said, the ones just for me personally, a huge light bulb moment. And then the other one is such a big distinction. Like Jesus didn't die because of you. Like that, it, you, you know yep. what I mean? And we do that. We we place ourselves in that. But no, no, he died like for all of us. Yeah. Instead such, of us. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of us. Yeah. Which is just such a big distinctor and really important. So was, again, you may... I'm sure everybody too, if they talk through that part, there's probably little things that stood out to everyone because it is such a big piece of our faith. And you're right, by which I'm glad you called that out as believers, because you know, we've all been believers for a little while. And then obviously in our room, believers for, you know, there's people who've been longer than us. It can become, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, cool, great. Like, 
So maybe that is a cool question. Just popped in my mind. How do we fight against that? How do we fight against the current of like, oh yeah, I know Jesus died for me, really cool, and then just move past it instead of like you said, Brandon, yeah. we drive into worship. So what do you guys do to always help keep that maybe front and center on your mind? Yeah, that's a good question, and I I, I hit it that a little bit in my communion meditation from this Sunday actually. So I I was in um, you know First Corinthians eleven. It's Paul's most elaborate teaching on communion. Um, to the church in Corinth, and it comes via a rebuke, which I think is really interesting, right? Like he he starts by saying um, to the church, like, "Hey, in these in these things, I have no." Um, oh gosh, what's that? let me pull up the text um, first. It's like in these directives. In verse 17, in these directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Like that's that's where he starts. And I, I stopped and was like, oh man, that's not great. Like if I were a part of that church, that would be unfortunate. But then he really digs into like reminding them what is it that we're doing in this, this time of communion. Um, uh, and what I was trying to drive to this Sunday in that moment is like, hey, let's like pause, right? Because oftentimes communion, right, is is our um, our uh, like for us weekly reminder of the gospel. If we don't cover, you know, the gospel of Jesus in our text for Sunday, that's why I think it's so important that we do it every week, mm-hmm. so that we hit on the grace of Jesus and the way that it plays out in our lives on a weekly basis. We do that by remembering Him through um, through communion, right? So, uh, and the thing that I. I loved about this text was verse 26 for whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what I wanted to do is take a pause in that, right? Because what we're doing is we're proclaiming the gospel when we take, take communion. And for us, we do this weekly. Right. And it's this great opportunity to, rather than just like taking the cup. And as soon as I'm done praying, I say, amen, half the room takes communion and we move on with our day. It's like, Hey, let's sit in that for a minute. Like, let's, let's actually sit and do what Paul's asking the church to do, which is examine yourself, right? It gives us an opportunity to actually ask the Holy Spirit to convict us, for us to, to repent, to confess the ways we've sinned against God. Um, and then we get to sit in this moment of, hey, he's forgiven. Like, he, he's forgiven me, and now I can be grateful in remembering that. So again, for me, communion is a great picture of how we pause. And even in that, we can get stuck into a ritual, right? Yeah. It, can, it can become... Uh, you know, repetitive, and I think it can lose some of its weight. But anytime we can sit back in that moment um, and try and just remember how good His grace actually is through all of this uh, by taking a pause, I think that's really important. Yeah, awesome. That's a great way, Jason. What about you? How do you keep it front and center? Well, uh, I was just going to start where Brendan ended. Like, I think in and of ourselves, anytime we're doing something on an ongoing basis, it does have the potential to become habitual, and we do forget. But I think what Paul does in this text is what we have to do, is we have to be reminded. Like, so much of our faith journey is just about remembering. It is about being reminded of the truth over and over and over and over again. And what he says here, he he says, look, we know just the right time while we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's the part we go, yeah, I know that. Okay, great. But he emphasizes it. Like, do you really understand how amazing that moment is? Very rarely we would die for a good person. Very rarely we would die for a righteous person. You aren't in either of those categories. You were a sinner. And he died for you. And it's like, so it takes, for me, it takes texts like this 
for me to be reminded, oh yeah, like, like Jesus did something that nobody else would do. I would never do what he did. And to put myself, I guess it comes back to just seeing myself in the reality that I was, am a sinner and Christ died for me. Like I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And so I, I guess it takes just being in texts like this, seeing this over and over, having having the having the scriptures put me in my place that Jesus is up here and I'm way down here, and yet He took my place. So I need these reminders um, on an ongoing basis to really appreciate it. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, that's that is good. Uh, there's one question that popped up from this Sunday's message based on a comment that you made, Jason, in the midst of it that I want us to tackle. Here, just give a a couple of minutes to, um, so here it is. The question is, hey, Jason said we aren't saved from uh, from the devil or from hell. We are saved from God's wrath. Like that was the comment you made. And the question's really here. I I know we aren't saved from the devil, but God gives us the strength to go through whatever the evil one tries to present to us. But I thought our salvation saved us from hell and uh, ensures us a place in heaven. Is this not true? Yeah, that is a great question, and I really appreciate um, Diana. I think is who sent this through. Yep, thanks, Diana. That is a really great question, and uh, it's a really uh, good opportunity to to do some clarifying here. So let's back up and let's start with our text, just so everybody knows where my thought came from on that issue. So in verse nine of chapter five, it says this: "Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him?" And so, I just asked the question out loud in the room: "What are we saved from?" And it says in this text, "We are saved from God's wrath." And so, then I said, "Hey, we need to do a little bit of a tweak in our theology. Let's just make sure that we understand this: that we are not saved." from Satan, or we are not saved from hell. According to this text, what we are saved from is from God's wrath. Now, I think what I hear Diana asking is, wait, 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 does that mean hell is still an option for me? And the answer to that is no. If you're justified, you're saved from God's wrath. What I meant when I said we're not saved from hell is it is that hell is not like a, how do I put this? Hell is not like something that's pursuing us that God is protecting us from, okay? So so think of it that way. Hell is not not something that we are destined to in and of ourselves, that that's where we're going to end up, and God is saving us from that, okay? So so think of it that way. Instead, the way we have to begin thinking about hell is hell is actually the instrument of God's wrath. It is the thing that God uses to pour out his wrath. So so let me give you a text to kind of help you understand what I mean by that. So go to Revelation chapter 14. So Revelation chapter 14 gives us a little bit of clarity around this. And then, so you guys too here with me in the room haven't heard this. So make sure that I'm being clear here. So you can ask your questions and push back on me. Yeah. Um, so in Revelation chapter 14, uh, it's this moment of judgment against those who take the mark of the beast. But there's some reality here that's told to us 
about the wrath of God. Okay, so here's what it says. If anyone worships the beast, this is 14 verse nine. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury in which he is, I'm sorry, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. So these people are going to experience the wrath of God in its full fury. And here's what that looks like. So the wrath of God is going to be poured out, and this is what it looks like. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. So when the wrath of God is poured out and the instrument of God's wrath is hell, is this image that we call hell. Sometimes it's called the burning lake of, I'm uh, sorry, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the image here. And I want you to notice what this says. Because again, this is, this is where our theology gets mixed up with cartoons. Because it says here in this text that they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. We've, we've been taught that, that Satan is the ruler over hell, that he has dominion, that that is his kingdom, and that's not the case. Satan is, it was, hell was created as a punishment for Satan. It is his torment. It is not his kingdom. Who is the ruler over hell? Well, in this text, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, and of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the ruler over hell. Like, there will be no rest day or night. Their torment will rise forever and ever. Jesus rules over hell. Hell is the instrument that God uses for his wrath. So, it'd be like saying, um, trying to think of a good analogy here. Uh if you had someone who had a sword and was going around and using that sword as a weapon to kill people, it isn't that that we would need to be saved from the sword. We would need to be saved from the one who is wielding the sword. The sword in and of itself doesn't have the power to take a life. The one who wields the sword has the power to take the life. In the scriptures, what we have to understand is the wrath of God is hell. He is wielding that like the sword. We're not being saved from hell. We are actually being saved from the wrath of God. So hopefully that distinction uh, is clarifying. So I just want to make sure that we understand it's not hell chasing us down that we need to be protected from. It is the wrath of God, and hell is just the instrument of the wrath of God. Is yeah. that helpful? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think really helpful. I mean, I obviously heard the Mark of the Beast thing, and it's a dicey one. <laughs> right. But again, in my mind, it's it's like a chosen thing, right? Like they 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 knew, right? It's for anyone who receives the mark. Like I feel like it's a it's not an unknowing thing, yeah, right? Because it, it keeps going. So this calls for patient endurance. Verse right. 12, on the part of the saints who obey God's command and remain faithful to Jesus. So again, in my mind, it is very much a, 
like for for the question, hey, hey, and again, I don't even know if this is what it meant, but like, hey, I thought I was good. Yeah, you are if you continue to follow Jesus. Like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm worried about hell as much because I'm trying to remain faithful to Jesus. I don't even picture that it's going to be my end point, right? Like, and that's the the piece of like the mark of the beast thing is like, hey, I don't think it's magically just going to appear. I think like I'm going to choose it, right? Does that not feel, because it does get wielded a lot now in pop culture. Oh, that's the mark of the beast, but. I don't think people wake up one day and go, oh, I've got that mark. I didn't know I had it. Yeah, right. What does it say? Any um, uh, Anyone who worships the beast. So like worship is an active, choice. right? Like we actively choose to worship things, right? Now we don't always actively choose to worship Jesus. And I think we're aware of that. Um, but I think that that indicates maybe a little bit of what you're saying, Josh. Yeah. Well, I think, again, don't get caught up on the mark of the beast. You're going to open up a can of worms that we yeah. learned intended to act. We're just talking about the... I was just trying to get to the point of hell is just the result of the wrath of God. It isn't the thing. It is a noun. It is just a place, but it is God. I mean, Jesus put it this way. Hey, do not fear those who can kill the body. What does he say? Fear the one who can kill your body and throw your soul in hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, he uses that language. Jesus uses that language. Like, again, Hell is a tool that God uses as a as the punishment, as the pouring out of his wrath. And again, I think we need to understand. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He says that this is the whole text about the sheep and the goats, and everybody knows sheep on the left and goats on the right, or actually the other way. For those on his left, the goats on his left, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Like that's what hell was created for. It was, it is not Satan's domain. It is Satan's punishment. It's not his kingdom. It is the consequence of his rebellion. God created this place called hell and he is, he prepared it for the devil and his angels. They are going to end up there, not as a, as somewhere to rule. It is going to be their eternal punishment and all who join in their rebellion, God is going to use that same place as a judgment against those people who join in the rebellion of God. So I just want to make sure that we understand it's a tool, but it, it it's not what we're saved from. We're actually being saved from the wrath of God. Hell is the, the epitome. It is the instrument, but it is actually the wrath of God that we're being saved from. So that yeah. was my point in that text. No, and I think you you kind of tie in at the end of your message, you were just talking about um, even with last week about laying down your weapons. Yeah. And you were even talking this week, like, Hey, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. But you kind of made the point of like, Hey, but if you choose not to lay your weapons down, if you choose to stay in disobedience, then like you're not saved from that wrath. Like it is contingent upon you actually having faith like Abraham in the promise, like what he's saying, which was the promise of Jesus dying. Like, and so for me, that that's why when I, I think of these kinds of texts and just personally, when I think of hell, it is not this, like you, you will, no one ends up there on accident. Mm. Like it, it wasn't, it's not going to, we're not going to be a mistake. Um, our worship guy, he, he's been saying, and I love how he says, he says at the end, 
all, whatever happens, it will be just. Like God's judgment, we're not going to look at it and go, oh, that doesn't seem right. Like it will be perfect in its justice. Mm-hmm. It will be so just. And so like I think about that with hell, like the people it, that God ends up banishing to that, it, it will be an active decision. They knew they were getting that. I don't think it would be a surprise. I think it would be just because that's the wrath because they, they never turned from it. They never turned from the evil of their ways and submitted to God. And so, again, I don't think you just willingly end up there. And I, again, maybe that, again, I just feel like I hear that in that question of like, oh, am I not okay? Yeah. I'm like, no, I think you are because you're following Jesus yeah. and you're obeying, right? So that's the, it's not a fear tactic. I don't know. And I think that's just, hell has been used so long as the fear tactic. Like, hey, you're going to go to hell, so repent. And I'm like, ah, I feel like that not the beauty of the gospel, maybe. Right. Let me let me give you another picture. So bringing back the surrendering picture that, we, that you just mentioned, there's a parable in Luke chapter 19 that almost never gets taught, okay? So we've heard of the, the, the parable of the talents. You know, the guy was given one, and one was given three, and one was given five, there's a version of that in Luke to whereby a talking about the coming of the kingdom and there was a man of noble birth. He gave himself, he was appointed king and then he returns. Verse 14 in chapter 19 of Luke says, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Mm. Okay, so this is the rebellion of the kingdom. We don't want to surrender to this guy as king. And and then there are some, they're giving them, them, in this text, they're called minas. They're giving this dollars and they do the thing. And we know the parable of the talents. But again, look at the very last verse of this section in verse 27. It says, but those enemies of mine, this is the king speaking, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Like, that's not a picture we want of Jesus or of God, but it is the exact same imagery that we find in Revelation chapter 14, that Jesus stands high and lofty. He is the king over heaven and earth and under the earth, like everything is in submission to him. And literally the torment of those who lived in rebellion and would not surrender to him as king, that torment comes up before the holy angels and of the lamb forever and ever and ever. They don't get to not be submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Just because they refused does not mean that they are not under his command. And so Jesus is the Lord over hell as much as he is the Lord over heaven. Yeah, and I love right after that passage in Luke, it is Jesus' triumph, triumphal entry, right? It's the yeah. contrast of, hey, here comes our king entering into the city riding on a donkey, right? Just such a beautiful <laughs> picture that Luke marries, like right after Jesus says this, here he enters in, everybody shouts, Hosanna, Hosanna. Just such a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit and Luke make this happen, right? Again, not a not an accident or a yeah. mistake. Yeah, that's good. All right, one more uh, topic, one more question before we uh, we call it a, a morning here. So this one comes out of um, Romans uh, chapter five, verse six, like right at the beginning of the message. There's this line that Paul has that I want us to dig into just a little bit more. Uh, here's what Romans five, six says. It says, you see, 
at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And the question is this, and you kind of alluded to maybe having some thoughts on this, but not having enough time to cover them on Sunday. What does Paul mean by at just the right time? Yeah, again, that's a great question. So uh, I would say hold your finger there in Romans chapter five, and then also flip over to Galatians chapter four. Now, there are a lot of people, and I think, Josh, you're probably in this group, who believe that Galatians was written before Romans and was kind of the predecessor a little bit, because a lot of the same themes that Paul hits in Romans, he addresses in Galatians, but just not uh, as deeply. And so Paul likely, in the churches of Galatia, shared much of this same teaching, um, but he was able to to finesse it in person. Like he went there and was able to talk to these people. He takes those same ideas in the book of Romans and has to write it all out. And so he uses this same kind of language in Galatians chapter four, when he says this in verse four, he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So he uses that language, but when the set time had fully come. So it's the same idea here at just the right time. And so there's a couple of things we could think about uh, when you're thinking about just the right time. Why, why first century? Why in this moment in history did Jesus come? And there's a, there's a couple of big things that happened at this point, and there's probably more. You could Google it up, but Couple huge things. One is called the Pax Romana. So that Pax Romana simply means the peace of Rome. Like there was a time finally in the world where Rome had conquered like a third of the world. Like there was this peace where there was no war in Rome. And so there was this peace that allowed for infrastructure to be created. Uh, we've heard the phrase that all roads lead to Rome. Well, across Across Rome, there were roads that were created all across the empire that made travel accessible. And because of the peace of Rome, it made it uh, safe for people to travel from one end of the Roman Empire to the other. That's why Paul is able to go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and and even talks about at the end of Rome, we'll get there. He's His ultimate goal is to get to Spain. I mean, he's wanted to go across across the uh, half of the world, and he was able to do that. So for the first time in history, when Jesus comes, the story of Jesus is able to be spread quickly because of the Pax Romana, because of the peace of Rome that allowed an infrastructure to be moved. Jesus, the, the, the story of Jesus is able to travel quickly all the way across the empire, um, and that good news is able to spread quickly so that by the time you get to uh, just a couple hundred years later, all of the Roman Empire is declared to be a Christian empire. So that's a big piece of this, that there was a time that made sense. It was set on the calendar and God put a bunch of things in place to, to send his son at just the right time so that the message of Jesus could spread across the world quickly. And that's really good. Yeah, that's, that's a great concise answer. All right, guys, anything else from this past Sunday that we want to cover cover before we uh, sign off? No, I would just say, hey, I know we made the announcement about um, a couple of weeks we're going to be chatting about baptism, and um, we're going to be in Romans 6. So if you're kind of looking ahead, 
And so if you're listening to the podcast, likely you're pretty bought in and Man, always our goal is we want to be sharing that message of the gospel with other people. So if you have someone who may be on the fence about faith, about baptism, about taking that step of, of faith, man, I would say, man, encourage them to come. You know, you're, it's the uh, weekend after Thanksgiving, so you may even have family in town. Like, I think we're going to do a really good job um, of really presenting the gospel with the understanding of baptism and its significance and its value. And so I, I would just challenge you right now, lay down the challenge. You got a couple weeks. Man, who are you going to bring? Who are you inviting? Who are you going to be thinking about sharing that message with? Because again, that's the goal of all of this. All of this time in Romans is so that people come to faith in Jesus, right? <laughs> like It is that, the gospel yeah, for everyone. Yeah, the gospel for everyone. And so I, again, this is a weekend that we looked at to say, oh, this is going to be a moment in our time. Mm-hmm. And so we want to we want to give adequate attention to it. So again, I know you maybe heard the announcement this Sunday from either PV or Prescott. So again, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Yeah, 100%. Really great reminder. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. We'll uh, chat again real soon. Well, all right, that's a wrap on episode 16 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we hope that if you have any questions from our messages on Sunday, that you would join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit those questions to be answered right here on the podcast. Well, thanks again for for sticking with us throughout the duration of this series and for joining us right here on the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We hope it added value to your week and we can't wait to see you again real soon.